So would you guys give a please a warm welcome to the Chaplain of the Tigers, Mr. Jeff Totten. Thanks, Brant. Thanks, buddy. Well, good morning, and Brant, thanks for that introduction, reminding me that I'm old. I really appreciate that. Um, hey, it's great to be with y'all. It's uh, uh, joy in our hearts, in my heart. My wife's not with me this time, but it's always a joy when we get to come up here. Appreciate so much, uh, Jeff, Ellis, and uh, Denise, and then Chad and the rest of your staff here, and many of the folks who we've gotten to know here in the church. So a privilege to be here to share the Word of God with you today. Um, when I was here last year, uh, it was January 6th, I think, and it was right before I went to India, something I've done four times to teach at a Bible institute over there, and just a reminder of uh, how humbling it is and how blessed we are here with all we have. Uh, every time I go over there, we teach about 100 pastors for a week, and I mean, it's all day teaching from like 8 in the morning, a few breaks here and there, of course, meals, but till like 8 or 9 o'clock at night. And these 100 pastors, some of them travel five days by train and bus from parts of India just to be there for the week. And it really is amazing that uh, they just want to get the Word of God into their lives so that they can share it for others. So I appreciate the introduction about what I do with the Tigers, and that is the bulk of our ministry. But uh, to do things like that is always special and uh, very powerful. And your church has a part in supporting us to allow us to go do that. So thank you so much uh, for your partnership uh, with us. A few photos I'll show just at the beginning here. We're putting together a new brochure, and this is going to be the cover on it. And some of you that are into baseball and into the Tigers will recognize a lot of the faces up there. And they kind of represent all the guys, uh, or th these are some of the key guys that I've had the privilege to work with um, since my time of being involved with the Tigers beginning in 1987. And so you see down there, in the upper left, uh, Ernie Harwell. Uh, lower left there, Frank Tanana. Frank is on the board of our ministry, still very active in ministry himself, uh, doing things in the Detroit area and really around the country and uh, even in other parts of the world. Frank himself just went over to uh, Africa and South Africa where he's helped finance a school over there and some other ministry things. And so he was over there doing baseball clinics and, of course, sharing the gospel with it. And so our goal in what we do with chapel is not just to provide a chapel while the guy's playing, but really to see them go on and do things with their lives that will impact God's kingdom in wonderful ways. It's really, it's a, it's a great opportunity if a guy plays long enough, when he retires, he's made a lot of money, he doesn't have to work, and he can go actually do ministry uh, and not even have to take a salary. Isn't that good? And so that's kind of what we try to do with some of these guys. You'll see... Um, uh, Travis Fryman there in the middle, number 24. Travis did that. When he got out of baseball for five years, he led the men's ministry at his church. Didn't take a salary and really helped launch a ministry uh, in his home church down there in Florida. Right now, Travis is working in the Cleveland Indians organization as kind of like an assistant to the GM and a roving uh, instructor type guy. And so now these guys are in positions where they can impact uh, other people in the game of baseball themselves. Tony Clark, see Tony right there in the middle, the lower part, the uh, big gentleman there. Tony, anyone know what Tony does now? I think I may have mentioned it previously. Anyone know? Tony is the executive director of the Baseball Players Association. And so he's really in a key spot. Uh, he oversees is like the union for all the baseball players, uh, and he has a great influence right there. Donnie Kelly, who played more recently, 
uh, down there in the lower part on the right. Uh, Donnie has uh, just got a job with the Pittsburgh Pirates as their bench coach. And so a major league level coaching spot and kind of a, a place of influence there. And then other guys, Mike Moroth is working with the Braves organization. And um, uh, where is he? Uh, Tony Hunter, or Tory Hunter is working with the uh, Twins organization. So these guys are out in places of influence. And our goal is to disciple men like that uh, to be able to do it. So thanks for your prayers uh, and your partnership with that. Another photo that I brought, uh, this is from last summer during the season, our home plate event. Uh, many of you have come to that over the years. And so we uh, invite churches all over the state come to a game early. This year will be June 13th, and players will come out and share their faith. This last year was really cool. Seven of our players spoke, and seven of those guys in that photo were guys who got up and shared their faith in Christ in front of several thousand people. Another six players, plus, uh, you'll see there on the left, uh, Mr. Kaline, came out, and they were there to support their teammates and to identify with them and be part of the day. So 13 of the guys on the team were out there that morning, and it really was a pretty cool thing to see them encouraging one another that way. Uh, and I brought some baseball cards that I bring every year. They're on the table in the back, and on the back of the baseball cards are guys' story of faith in Christ. There's no baseball stats on it, but it tells their story of how they came uh, to know Christ as their Savior. Take as many of those packets as you like. They're wrapped in a little gospel track, and so you can use that track to share Christ uh, with others. And then one other photo I'll show you. <clears throat> this past December, my wife and I went down to Florida, had the privilege to do a wedding for one of our players, uh, Brandon Dixon. <clears throat> Brandon and his wife Caroline came to the Tigers just a year ago. So he was only with us for the year, and uh, we really connected with him. Brandon lived in our basement for uh, some parts of the year when he got called up, and uh, nothing fancy, but it was doable for him. And as he bounced between Toledo and Detroit early in the year, he wasn't sure where he'd be staying, so he wound up uh, crashing with us for a bit. And uh, then uh, asked me to do his wedding, so we had the privilege to do some premarital counseling with him. And then they got married uh, in December down in Orlando, and the other player there with him in this picture is uh, Daniel Norris, one of our pitchers. And here's what's interesting about this lifestyle for these guys. So they got married on a Sunday afternoon in December. They uh, left uh, the following Saturday for their honeymoon. Uh, and they were going out of the country for about two weeks. And the day they were headed to the airport, found out he was, he was designated for assignment. Doesn't sound good, does it? That means we don't think we really want you back. And uh, that was on their way to the airport for their honeymoon. And so uh, there's a two-week period where they have to do some things. Well, long story, uh, at the end of it all, he'll be back with us, not necessarily at the big league level, but at least at AAA. So he'll be down in spring training with a chance to uh, make it back to the big leagues with us. And so uh, we'll continue to ministry in their lives and the lives of others down there uh, in just a month or so when spring training begins. So thanks for your prayers uh, for our ministry as we work with uh, players, wives, and others around the game of baseball. Um, I'll be back at the table. If you have any questions, feel free to ask as uh, we're back there after the service. Hey, I want to uh, look at a passage in the Bible <clears throat> that uh, talks about discipleship. And, uh, you know, that's a key thing, and a word we use quite a bit is discipleship. The word literally means to follow. That's kind of the idea of the word. And so what does it mean to be a disciple or to follow uh, Jesus Christ? Uh, for us, in our culture, we don't necessarily use that word 
in everyday life outside of the church and of being a follower of Christ. In the Jewish culture of Jesus' day and age, that concept really was much more understood and much clearer uh, in their lives. Uh, the education was really big for children and uh, Jewish families in the culture in which Jesus lived. In fact, most kids would go to school uh, between the ages of 6 and 10, and that was kind of their, what we would think of like an elementary type school, and uh, much, much of it focused around the Word of God. In fact, from ages 6 to 10, the children would come to school, and usually at the beginning of the year or the beginning of their education, they would be taught the, how precious God's Word is. Many times the instructor would take like honey, and in the Old Testament it says God's Word is sweeter than what? Honey. And they would put the honey like on parts of the desk or on the children's hands, and they would say, you know, and of course honey, kids love that, so they're licking it and they'd say, that's the way you ought to think about the Word of God. It's sweeter than honey. Just like you like something sweet, well, you ought to dive in and you ought to love and have a passion for the Word of God. And so from ages 6 to 12, when they were in that part of their education, they would memorize the first five books of the Bible. Now think about that. Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. We have trouble just remembering what the first five books are, right? They memorized the entire text over that period. And, uh, and many, uh, not many, but some Orthodox Jews, they still do that to this day. And they memorized that. So when Jesus, as an adult who would have gone through that, uh, is tempted in the wilderness by the devil, what does he do? He quotes from the book of Deuteronomy, one of the first five books, with not having to say, okay, let me think of that verse again. Now, let me check it out here on my uh, iPhone. He knew it because he'd memorized it from ages 6 to 10. He knew it. And then children would go from that schooling to the next level, like we would think of a middle school. And uh, that was ages 10 through 14. And you know what they would do then? They would memorize the remainder of the Old Testament. Yeah, I, how about that? And so they would, by 14, kind of have the entire Old Testament down, hopefully word for word. Not only would they memorize it, but they would begin to uh, challenge one another about parts of it, what they would call questions and answers. And so they would say, hey, what is the, what is the thing that it says after? It says, Jesus, or the Lord is my shepherd. What does it say after that? And you have to know the next verse. And so they would challenge one another, question one another. And so that was ages 10 through 14. So at age 12, when Jesus is in the temple, what is he doing? He's doing that very thing with the uh, religious leaders of his day, doing that questioning and answering. And then when you got to be age 14 or so, uh, the girls usually would then go on to a domestic life, but the guys would, uh, if they wanted to, and they wanted to back then, they would try to find a rabbi to become a follower of. And uh, it was much like today, kids growing up, most of them want to do what? Play sports. I want to be that baseball player, that football player. In that culture, they wanted to follow a rabbi and be part of a rabbi's group to where one day they might be a rabbi themselves. 
And so at age 14, what they would do was this. A, a boy would uh, find a rabbi in his area, and he would go and just start following that rabbi around. And as he followed that rabbi around, the rabbi would be kind of seeing who was following him. He would be stopping to teach, and he would get to know those that were following him. And if the kid had enough stuff to keep on following, he would say, come, follow me. But if he didn't, you know what the rabbi would say to that 14, 15-year-old, 16-year-old kid? Hey, you know, thanks for coming, but uh, no thanks. You know, we'll call you. And he would say, go back home and apply your trade. And what does that mean? He grew up, that kid grew up, if his dad was a carpenter, he was a what? Carpenter. If his dad was a fisherman, he was a what? Fisherman. And so now you tried to follow this rabbi, but you didn't have the goods to do it. So the rabbi politely would say, you better go back home and apply your trade. Now think of that in the context of Jesus then calling his disciples. What was Peter doing when Jesus came and called him? He's back home running a fishing business. Peter was one of those guys who probably had gone to try to follow a rabbi, and at some point the rabbi said to Peter, what? Hey, you really don't have what it takes. Why don't you head back home and become a fisherman? And for the disciples that Jesus called, most of them were back home applying their traits. They were the what? The rejects. They had failed. And Jesus said, hey, you may not have what it takes in the eyes of the others, but I'm saying you come follow me. And I'll make you a fisherman. And you know what? Isn't that wonderful? That today Jesus is not looking for the best and the brightest and the smartest and the greatest personalities. He wants those people, but he's looking for me and you too. And he says, hey, come follow me. I'll make you a fisherman. And so when Jesus called his disciples and said, come follow me, uh, he really was calling guys probably in their late teens who had been through that educational system, who had an Old Testament, a Hebrew Scripture basis, but they could not become a follower of another rabbi. They'd been back home applying their trade, and Jesus said, hey, you come follow me. Um, uh, when, uh, when we read that verse, and when a, a young man would follow after a rabbi, it was said he would go take the yoke of that rabbi. And the yoke was something they would put around their animals to pull a plow, kind of that collar. And uh, a young man would say, I'm going to follow and take on the yoke of that rabbi right there, or that rabbi. And some of the rabbis had really hard things you had to follow. And so their yokes were heavy. What did Jesus say in Matthew 11? Come follow me. My yoke is what? Easy. And my burden is what? Light. Come and enjoy being my follower and my disciple. And so for a young man, when he got called to follow after a rabbi, or when Jesus called those that would follow after him, the dads and moms were thrilled. My son was asked to follow such and such rabbi. And often the parents would say, they, they, they have texts of this, where the parents might say to their kids, Go follow Rabbi so-and-so and be covered in the dust of his feet. And what does that mean? Well, back then they walked dirt roads, and as you walked, you would kick up dust, 
And if you were following someone, kind of when you drive down a dirt road, if you're the front car, you're kicking them all the dust. The second car is getting what? All the dust on it, right? And uh, the same thing was true as they walked. So as a rabbi would walk, kick up the dust, those following him would be covered with the dust. And those following the most closely would be covered with the most what? Dust. And so uh, the parents would say, go and be covered with the dust of your rabbi. And folks, that really is a wonderful picture of what we're called to be. To be covered in the dust, to follow so closely after our teacher, our rabbi, Jesus, that people understand that's who I follow. And it's not a Sunday thing. And it's not a you know, New Year's resolution thing. It is my desire in life to have a passion to follow after Christ. So that's the context of this whole idea of being a disciple or being a follower. And I want to share three passages uh, in the Gospel of John that talk about that disciple. And uh, if you know Christ is your Savior, or I know Christ is my Savior, that is what we're called to do. So let me read uh, these verses to you, and they'll be up here on the screen as well. The first is found in John chapter 8 and verse 31. And we read these words there. It says, To the Jews who had believed him, Jesus said, If you hold to my teaching, you are really my disciples. And you know one of the marks that uh, this passage teaches us of being a disciple of Christ is the mark of obedience. That's some of the dust that will get on us. If, uh, if you say, I know Christ and I love him and I want to follow him, but you say, I really don't have a desire to obey him, something's not connected right there. Something's off. Because a mark of a disciple is, I have a desire, <clears throat> a passion, uh, uh, an agenda in my life. It's a priority for me to want to obey him. Won't be perfect at it. I'll fail at times. But at the end of the day, my desire is I want to be an obedient follower of Jesus Christ. Is that your desire? I hope it is. And I hope you, you do things in your life to say, you know, I want that to be true and real in my life. In fact, in that verse where it says, if you hold, the word you there is plural. So Jesus was addressing the believers as a group. And there really is the idea there of there's some accountability to one another. We're to help each other accomplish this. Uh, I want to obey Christ. You want to obey Christ. Hey, let's do it together. Let's lock together in a small group, in a fellowship, in a church body. And let's hold one another accountable to being people who are obedient to following Christ. The word there, uh, hold. Uh, is the word uh, that uh, we would think of the word abide or remain. I want to abide, I want to remain, I want to be tied so closely to God's word that uh, people make no, no, uh, have no misunderstanding of who I'm following and what I'm seeking to live my life by. And so a mark of obedience for the Christian is to hold to the word of God, to be obedient to it. Stories told of a missionary who was uh, in a remote part of the world and translating God's word from uh, English to that native language. And that particular language really didn't have an exact word for the word obedience. And so one day that missionary was out with his dog 
And the dog was far off, and the missionary was back at his home, and he called his dog. And, uh, and that dog came running. And one of the natives who saw that said, because the dog was obedient, said, your dog is all ears. As a way of saying, man, when you spoke, your dog heard and obeyed. And the minister said, hey, that's the phrase that I can use to translate the Bible, the word obedience, into their language. Your dog is all ears. Wouldn't that be wonderful to be said of us? Hey, he or she, they're all ears to what God's word says. And that, folks, is really what we're called to do, is to be men and women who are all ears, we care about, man, we want to dive into what the word of God says. And we're not going to be perfect at it, are we? One of the guys I showed you up there, uh, Tori Hunter, uh, Tori was with us just two years. But Tori was a wonderful impact on her team and guys around us. And um, really a dear brother in Christ. And so one year at that home plate event that we do, maybe some of you were at this one, Tori was one of our speakers. And I said, you know, Tori's got such a great person. I said, hey, why don't we have kids come up and ask Tori questions? And we had questions submitted ahead of time by email. So we knew the seven or eight kids that would come up. And we brought them up, man, let them sit on the field. And then Tori got up on a mic and these kids came to a mic Got to interact with Tori Hunter for a little bit. He was great with him. And so uh, one of the kids that year said to Tori, hey, Tori, as a professional athlete, what's one of the biggest challenges you face? And Tori thought about it for a moment. He said, for me, Tori said, uh, maybe my tongue, the way I talk. Because it's easy in the heat of battle to drop a word I shouldn't drop and say something I shouldn't say. And, uh, and that was a really great answer. And it applied to the kids, and it was wonderful. And so uh, a whole year went by, and the second year that Tori was with us, he spoke at a home plate again. And we did the same thing. We had kids submit questions. I let Tori pick the questions out. Kids came up to the field. And one of the kids that second year that came up, not the same kid from the first year, but one of the kids had been at the previous home plate. He said, Tori, hey, at last year's home plate, uh, you said that one of your challenges or temptations in obeying Christ was your tongue and what you say. And the kid says, how's that going for you? <laughs> that was great. It's a 12-year-old kid calling Tori out. And uh, Tori, Tori said, oh, it's really going well. Yeah, I'm really doing good with it, and, and um, I'm working on it. I got it. And so he really said a positive answer. That was a Saturday in Detroit. And the Tigers, after the game on Sunday, went to Baltimore to play a series. And so Monday night, after Tori had said, you know, things are going well, I'm doing good, I'm watching TV on my high-def TV, and it's about the eighth inning. The Tigers are behind, and one of our guys, I think it was Ian Kinsler, hit a home run to put us ahead. And the next batter up was Torrey Hunter. And the pitcher on the mound was ticked because he'd given up a home run and given up the lead. And so one of the pitches to Torrey was right here in his ribs. I mean, drilled him. And that hurts. How many have ever been hit by a baseball? Okay. And, uh, I mean, I've seen players where you see the stitching on their body in the bruise. That's how impactful it is. And so Tori gets hit, and Tori's hot. He's not happy about this. The bat goes down, and uh, there in living color as he goes to first, I'm reading Tori's lips. Oh, man. Come on, Tori. And uh, after Saturday, right? Hey, I'm doing really well with him. I'm on top of it. And uh, as he goes down to first base, he's John at this pitcher. You can't be bang, 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 bang. 
And uh, so the next morning, I just sent Tori a text. And all I said was, hey, Tori, it was wrong for that guy to hit you last night. And uh, he replied right back. He said, man, the devil used that guy to test me, and I failed. (laughs) But I've asked forgiveness, and I'm moving forward. And I thought it was a great answer. And so I wrote to Tori. I say, hey, Tori, uh, do you mind if I take your text and email it out to the pastors of all those, you know, five or 8,000 people uh, who heard you on Saturday? Can I send it to the pastors? He said, that'd be great. You know, I love that spirit because we're all going to fail, aren't we? But the bottom line is, do you have a desire to obey the one you say you follow? And Tori failed in his obedience in that instance. But it didn't change his desire. His desire was that I blew it, but I want to get back on track and keep following him. So I hope that's true for you, and I hope it's always true for me, that we want to be people who uh, have the mark of obedience. That that dust that we see how Jesus obeyed his heavenly Father kicks up on us, and we are an obedient people to him. Not perfect, but a desire to be obedient. So that's one of the marks of being a disciple that we see with Christ. Here's the second one. Uh, it, the, the, in uh, John chapter 13, verse 35, a uh, verse that uh, many of you, I'm sure, know, it says this. By this shall all men know you're my disciples. So here's another mark of being a disciple. And it says, if you love one another. And so we could summarize that as the mark of fellowship. Or we could say the mark of love. There ought to be something different about our relationships with fellow believers. Uh, Hey, we love getting together, having a good time, talking hunting, sports, uh, the weather, whatever. That's all great. But there's a level that goes deeper. Because there's a fellowship and a bond that we have in Christ that uh, I don't have with someone who doesn't know Christ. Now, that person can still be my friend. We can still do things together. But there's a deeper level when you know Christ is your Savior, isn't there? And when those people connect, like in a body here, that's powerful. And uh, Jesus said, when you love one another the way you should, and there's a fellowship there, that's going to go out and make a difference in the world. And so the way we love one another. It's interesting. Jesus said those words, uh, John chapter 13, verse 35, in the upper room with his disciples, uh, probably about 12 hours before he went to the cross and was crucified. The same night in that upper room, what else did he do? He washed their feet. He served them. And so really the idea there is, hey, if I want to follow in the steps of my rabbi, my teacher, if I want to be his disciple, if I want to have the mark of being a disciple, it's the mark of fellowship, it's the mark of love, or another word we could put on that blank is this, It's the mark of serving one another. That's what it is. I'm going to serve fellow believers around me in my life. I'm going to serve the lost too, but I'm going to have a love and a service level toward fellow believers that will be a witness to the world around me. Uh, One of the guys that we put up on the screen a moment ago uh, is Todd Jones. And Todd was a pitcher on the Tigers for a number of years. He was our closer Todd was really a, a, a well-established closer, set a bunch of records, uh, pitched in uh, World Series for us. 
And uh, Todd, when he played with us, he played with us twice. So he was with us in the late 90s, went away, played for another team, came back in the 2000s. And so I knew Todd from really as a young man uh, on through later in life and still have a good friendship with him today. So Todd uh, would come to chapel, and then you could watch his growth. He came to chapel, and, uh, and guys loved on him, and uh, Todd had come to Christ uh, right before he got into professional baseball, so he was a very young believer. But guys loved on him. Todd then began to host the Bible study uh, that we did as a team on the road in his room. And so uh, we would do, and for ball players, like 10.30 is really early in the morning, okay? They're going to bed later at night after games. And so 10.30 is like 7.30 to you and me. And so we would do a Bible study, 10.30, 11, in a guy's room. And so Todd said, I'll host it. And he did a great job. He would have some danishes and coffee ordered up. And, uh, but you knock on Todd's door like at 10.29. And I know we woke him up. Okay, I mean, I know, he'd come to the door, he'd have his shorts on and a t-shirt, he'd say, come on in guys, come on in, and then, no joke, he'd get back under the covers with his Bible like this, and say, let's go, and uh, maybe some that are watching online are doing that right now, uh, kind of a nice way to go, and so, um, but he would do that, and he began to uh, bond with other believers to serve and to allow others to serve him. And, and Todd was Bible illiterate. He really did not know much about the Bible. And I love guys like that because uh, when I came to Christ in high school, that's how I was. So I can remember not knowing who Paul and Moses and uh, you know, John and all those people were and where they fit in the story. And so uh, one spring training, Todd said, hey, Jeff, uh, my family's not going to be in spring training very much. I rented a condominium, a little place down by a lake. And uh, when you're done, why don't you just stay with me? And I was great. Saved me uh, uh, having to pay somewhere else. And I and, uh, was with him. And he said, but one condition. Every night, let's do a Bible study. And I said, I'm in. And so we use a book called 30 Days to Understanding Your Bible. And we went through that like every night and take you through the Old Testament, New Testament, kind of chronologically through different eras. And uh, Todd ate it up. To where later that season, we went to church one morning. Uh, they had a night game. We could go to church on a Sunday morning. And the pastor got up, and he said, I'm going to speak to you today from the book of Nahum. Nahum. And uh, I'm going, man, these guys, I had about eight players with me. Nahum, they won't get it. And uh, some of you are saying, who's Nahum, right? Well, that's how they were. And, um, and so he pastored a great job with the message. After the service, Todd came up. He said, Jeff, I knew who that guy was. And he was like all thrilled because he got it. Todd went on, finished his career out, retired. Do you know what Todd is doing right now? He's in seminary. And uh, just sent me the other day an email with a paper he had to write on the Trinity. And, uh, um, and it's so thrilling to see how the power of fellowship with other believers moves each of us along at different rates in different ways to where we have an impact in this world for Christ. And so, folks, the fellowship of believers, man, don't ever underestimate it. And that's not just what happens here on Sunday morning or not even just within this building. It's what we do day in and day out 
interacting with other believers, building one another up, encouraging one another. Uh, we do this every, the last three off-seasons as players. None of the Tigers live in the Detroit area in the off-season. Uh, and so these guys are spread out all over the country uh, until spring training. And so we do a, a Bible uh, reading over the phone together. Uh, we give everyone a passage. We're all in the same passage every day. And then by text, a different guy does a little lesson on uh, the text each week or each day. And there are so many creative ways to do it that we need that fellowship with one another. Don't miss that. And so the mark of a fellowship, uh, it's based on love and it's powerful uh, with each one of us. We need that in our lives and it is a wonderful picture to the world around us. And then the third mark, the last one we look at, is found in John chapter 15 and verse 8. And uh, here we read this. Uh, this is to my Father's glory, that you bear much fruit, showing yourselves to be my disciples. And so the third mark that we look at is the mark of fruitfulness. Uh, we are to bear fruit as followers of Jesus Christ. In that same passage, Jesus says this. He says, you have not chosen me, but I have chosen you. And many times we kind of put that into the context of, well, I must be talking about predestination or election. Probably not in that case. Do you remember how a rabbi would call disciples? Uh, when children, boys got to the age of 14, they would go find a disciple they wanted to follow. And so it was the follower that would choose a rabbi to go follow after. But in the case of Jesus, he went to those who had been rejected. Remember, go home and apply your trade. You don't have what it takes. And so he went and chose them and said, you come follow me. So he really did it differently than the way the other rabbis would do it. And that's what he's saying. He said, you didn't choose me. You choose someone else. They rejected you. I came and found you and I chose you. And I chose you for a purpose. And we just read it. That you may go and bear what? Fruit. And uh, we are called to be fruit bearers. And so uh, every one of us today, and a great time of year to do it at the beginning of the year, hey, what fruit did I bear last year? What fruit am I bearing and planning to bear and hoping to bear this year? And when you say fruit, it kind of is, uh, well, that's maybe a vague term. So let's uh, kind of define it a little bit deeper. The Bible, I think, points to three types of fruit in our lives. The first and probably most obvious one is uh, what we read about in Galatians 5.22. The fruit of the Spirit. And if you're familiar with that passage, there's nine characteristics given there. I'm going to read the nine to you. And do a little checklist in your own life. Uh, go home and turn to Galatians 5.22. And each of us do a checklist. Hey, how do I measure up with those fruits? Uh, the fruit that are listed there are love, joy, Peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. So if we're talking about bearing fruit, let's start right there. How am I doing in those nine descriptions of bearing that fruit in my life? Kindness, 
patience, self-control, and the others that are listed there. That is a way to measure exactly what Jesus is talking about. My disciples will bear fruit in those areas. And it really speaks to my lifestyle, my conduct, my attitude, and uh, what I want my life to be pictured as. So how are you doing in those areas? Do a checklist. Uh, meditate on that verse. Uh, pray over that verse. Say, Lord, here's three of those uh, descriptions of the fruit of the Spirit where I want to grow in 2020. And we are called to bear fruit. And so there's a tangible way that we can look at our own lives and uh, look to bear fruit. Uh, a second way that we uh, can look to bear fruit and that we can measure it is really uh, additions to the kingdom. The Bible talks about uh, bearing fruit in people coming to faith in Christ. And so I really challenge you, and I want my life to be reflected this way. Let's be conscious of those around us who don't know Christ. How can I be part of bearing fruit in that realm? What can I do to have an influence in people coming to know Christ as their Savior? And it's not all about me, and it's not all about you. It's really us together doing that. I loved hearing about um, uh, praying earlier. We prayed in the room before the service for this campus, uh, your other campuses, and uh, the partnership you have with the church in Haiti. How cool is that? Uh, when you pray, when you give to uh, the church here at Walloon, it impacts people bearing fruit in parts of the world, whether it's a Tigers clubhouse, whether it's a church in Haiti, another campus right here, of people coming to know Christ as their Savior. Read through the book of Acts, often it says, and to the church they were added, and it gives a number, 3,000 souls. And that's what we're called to do. We're called to add people who don't know Christ to the kingdom. And so you can have a part in that. And it doesn't mean you have to get up to preach. It doesn't mean you have to be the world's greatest knowledge, uh, have the greatest knowledge of the Bible. But you and I can all be part of that wonderful thing of seeing people come to know Christ as their Savior. To add people to the kingdom. That's the fruit that we're called to bear. Uh, and so there's so many ways that we can do it. I was so blessed over the last year and a half to have a, a high school buddy named Russ. He was the son of our football coach. Russ was one year ahead of me in school, and, uh, and I came to Christ as a 16-year-old in high school from a total non-church background. And you know, sometimes you wonder, hey, does my life make a difference? Does it matter? So here's the story with Russ. Uh, Russ and I were friends. We weren't the closest of friends, but we were friends during those high school years. And at age 16, I got invited to a Bible study and uh, didn't even own a Bible. So that night, as I went to this Bible study, I had some questions I had heard about the second coming of Christ. It really intrigued me, so I had a bunch of questions. So I go to my fellow student, uh, fellow high school student's house for a Bible study. Stop at a bookstore that night to buy a Bible. Walk in, say, I'd like to buy a Bible, please. The lady says, which one? Like, version. And I didn't know what she meant. That's how illiterate I was. I said, I like the one by God. And that's the truth. She laughed, too. Got me a Bible, went to the Bible study, and the guy said, turn to John 1.12. I didn't know what the numbers meant. And so that's where I was. And so over the course of that study, in days that followed, I came to faith in Christ. The following year, my junior year of high school, we started a Bible study in my basement. 
with uh, the two guys that I'd been in the other Bible study with, and we had about 20 kids come. And you know, you never know how God will impact an invitation to a Bible study or carrying your Bible back then. I, on some days, we did a Bible study at the high school early in the morning, so carry a Bible to school. You never know. And so Russ was a guy I knew, uh, played, played ball with, and, uh, uh, but lost touch with Russ for years. A year ago, November, I was speaking at a church in the Detroit area. And so now it had been like uh, 40 years since high school. And, um, and so I was there, and a gal in that church had spoken to a lawyer where she worked. A lawyer worked in her uh, company and said, hey, uh, and she'd been witness to this lawyer and said, hey, uh, you know, why don't you come to my church some Sunday? In fact, this Sunday, the chaplain for the Detroit Tigers is going to speak. Uh, his name is Jeff Totten. And Russ, who was the lawyer, said, you got to be kidding me, Jeff. So a year ago in November, he showed up and uh, met him before the service, had fun with him in the service, and uh, in the days that followed, we grabbed some lunches and times together. And one of the guys who had invited me to a Bible study in high school, John, was a friend with Russ too. The three of us began to meet uh, during last year. And, uh, and then I was uh, traveling a bunch during the summer, so I kind of passed it off to John. And so John would keep meeting with him. And uh, this November, about a year after he'd come to that church service, Russ sent us a text. He said, hey, I'm now in. I've invited Christ into my life. Isn't that cool? And it was a lady that worked with him. It was a couple guys that he knew in high school. And now where Russ lives in the Detroit area, he lives close to uh, one of the guys up there on the screen I showed you earlier, Frank Tanana. So Frank's got him in a men's Bible study at his church. And the list goes beyond the four or five of us that I just mentioned of people who had a part in God bringing this person to Christ. And the glory goes to Christ for it because he's the one that orchestrated it. You just had a bunch of people willing. And you know what? That's all God is asking. Are you willing to bear fruit, to take a track and pass it on to someone who likes sports? You never know. To say, hey, why don't you come visit our church uh, this Sunday with me? And let's go out to lunch afterwards. You never know. And the opportunities are there, and that's part of how we bear fruit. And then just final, uh, to wrap up, you know another way we bear fruit, and you're not going to like this one, I don't like it either, but many times we bear fruit through trials. When we go through times of suffering, difficulty, the, the fruit that comes forth, and the book of Romans talks about this, that others can see is powerful. How do you handle the tough times when stuff happens that uh, you wish didn't? How do you handle it? And you can bear fruit in your own life and fruit in the lives of others by the way you and I handle that. So I, I just want to challenge you and encourage you today. If you say, hey, I know Christ is my Savior, uh, how closely are you following him? And there are three things that Jesus was really clear on in the Gospel of John. Uh, a follower of Christ is going to be covered with obedience. Not going to be perfect, but that's what I want to do. A follower of Christ is going to be one who has fellowship with other believers and really grows and builds that. 
And a follower of Christ is going to be one who is seeking to produce and see fruit in his or her life. And so I encourage you, like they would say back then, be covered uh, in the dust of your rabbi. Father, thanks so much for your word and um, uh, for the really practical, simple ways that it describes being a disciple. And so I pray that um, you would work in each of our hearts and have us answer that question before you. How closely do I really want to follow Christ? How, uh, how, how determined am I to make that a priority? We're mindful of times when people will approach Jesus in the Bible, in uh, Luke chapter 9, and said, hey, I want to follow you. And Jesus would give them a little challenge of what it meant to be a follower. And, um, and sometimes they left, and they say, hey, that's not for me. Father, help us to uh, be people who say, I want to follow Christ, and that is my priority in life. Above and beyond all, to be one who walks closely after our Savior. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.